And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to start a new series called To Timothy, and it's all about spiritual leadership. Now, before you tune me out because you, you don't hold the title of, of, of leader in a particular ministry here at Trinity or, or, or you don't consider yourself an elder or a deacon, uh, it's important to me that you understand that we're each leaders, right? N- no one is exempt from the, the role of leadership. We all play the role of a leader in some way, shape, or form. Whether you own your own company or work for a corporation, maybe you teach in a classroom or you serve in a medical field or or you raise children at home, we're all leaders. And it's just the context of our leadership that takes different shapes and forms. Everyone, everyone is a leader. And within the church, we are all spiritual leaders. So when I mention our concern for the next generation that just left the room a few moments ago, it's because none of us are participants where we sit back and receive. Sorry, none of us are spectators. We're participants, right? We, we participate in the body of Christ. Worship, our time of worship, may feel like it's a, a spectator sport from time to time because Pastor Moses and I are given the mic and we, we, are, we can be long-winded from time to time and do a lot of talking. But you are just as equally responsible to engage in what God has called us to do. When we, no, no nodding heads over there. I saw a few nodding heads, and that's, that's not allowed. We were all in, in, invited to be spiritual leaders in the church. Paul, you may remember from a couple weeks ago, we talked about Paul instructs the Corinthian church, right, and us, that we're all called to be ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God has endeavor to to speak through his people, through the church, with a purpose, right? So in my opinion, being a spiritual leader is is synonymous, is the same thing as being a disciple of Jesus. A disciple isn't just a receptacle of Jesus' teachings where we receive the love of God, where we receive his grace, where we receive his mercy and his compassion, where we receive his idea of, of what it means to be righteous, And we receive, and we receive, and we receive. That's not the idea of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is a student whose life is being transformed, and as is being transformed by the life and teaching of Jesus, that life and teaching of Jesus overflows out of us into the lives of the people all around us. See, spiritual leadership is not a title. It's not even a position of authority or an office that a select few in the life of the congregation get to hold. It's a description of anyone who would call themselves a disciple of Jesus or anyone who would call Jesus their Savior. There's a, a, a Salvation Army pastor named Samuel Brangle who, who, who once said, the final estimate of men shows that history cares not one iota for the rank or title of a man, or, or title a man has borne or the office he has held, but only, only the quality of his deeds and the character of his mind and heart. See, being a disciple of Jesus is a lifestyle, right? Being a disciple of Jesus is is this lifestyle of character development that that, that you're called into, 
One where we're called into this life where our life is being transformed and changed and made into someone and something that we, that we were not previously. You aren't elected to leadership. You're not, you're not waiting to be tapped on the shoulder to say, hey, we see what you can do. We'd like you to come lead for a while. That's, that's not what leadership is. What the Bible teaches us is that God makes us into leaders. In the Gospel of Matthew, when, when Jesus called his first disciples to follow him, he said, follow me, right? And, and this is where we like to stop. When we think about the scriptures and we think of the relationship Jesus calls us into, we like to think of being a disciple as one of being called into following Jesus. In other words, living like him. And, and so we stop there. We celebrate th- this, this, this message that sounds good. We like that Jesus loves us. We like that he cares for us. We like that he wants us to follow him, to to be with him. But what we do when we stop there is we miss out on what Jesus' invitation really is. Because Jesus' invitation isn't just to follow him. His calling doesn't stop there. Jesus actually says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Our calling is... It is to spiritual leadership, right? Over the next eight weeks, we're going to be embarking on this sermon series together. It's going to lead us right up to to the Thanksgiving season. And as we go on this journey, I hope that you will learn that being a leader is not a choice. I mean, it's a choice if you want to follow Jesus or not, but, but that invitation, that calling that he's put on your life is not a, not a choice. You say, I want to be a Christian, but... You know what, I, I don't want to be a leader. Because if Jesus is calling you to follow him, he's also calling you to lead. And that thing that he's calling you to is not some future calling, right? He's not saying, hey, I, I'm going to have you go through this four-year college program, this leadership development program, and at the end of it, then you can lead. Right? He's, not saying that. he's not saying, hey, you've got to be 21 until you can lead in the church. He's not even saying, hey, you should wait until retirement when you actually have the time to lead. Once, once you get there, once you reach there, then you can start to lead. You know what? Then you'll have ample time and space to lead. That's not the calling that Jesus is giving his church. You don't have to wait to focus on this calling of spiritual leadership. Spiritual leadership is a call in each of the lives of God's children, and it matters now. Think about this, this picture of a sundial. Right? Sundials were tools to help those who, uh, people keep track of time before we had smartwatches and smartphones and, uh, and even the, those uh, alarm clocks, you'd hit, the, there was a snooze button, you know, you'd have to like blindly slap in the, in, in the dark in the morning, like snooze, just 10 more minutes. Sundials were, were something that helped keep time. And if you look at this image, you can see that there's a shadow cast on this, this circle. It helped to tell the time where the, sh- where the front line of that shadow cast, what time it was based on the sun's orbit in the, in the sky and, and, and what, or where the sun was in the sky, not, not its orbit, right? And, and here's the thing. On one particular sundial, there was a poem that was engraved into the dial. Let me, let me read the poem for us. The shadow of my finger cast divides the future from the past. Before it stands the unborn hour in darkness and beyond thy power. Behind its unreturning line, the vanished hour no longer thine. One hour alone is is in thy hands, the now on which 
the shadow stands. So the reason why I want us to look at this and understand this, and specifically in the context of spiritual leadership, is that, that the time we have is a gift. The, the, the time that is ours in the future is, is beyond our reach, right? Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have enough worries of its own. The time of the future is beyond our reach and power to do anything about. The past can't be changed. It's gone. It's behind us. It can be redeemed. God, God can, can forgive and heal of the past, but it can't be changed. The past is the past. It's behind us. You're, you're going to just lose sleep trying to change the past, right? But, but the present hour right now is ripe with possibilities. As leaders, as spiritual leaders, there are so many things in our life and in our world that want to rob us of the present moment of this space here and now, whatever space that is, whatever time that looks, or whatever that time looks like, whatever is before you. I, I mean, Tara and I were just talking the other day about how easy it is to, to pick up your phone during the downtime and just scroll through what you see on, on social media or whatever. I mean, that's, that's, that's old hat kind of, right? We all know that, that it's easy to get lost in that. But my point is, it's so easy to waste the gift of the present time, and the present hour is ripe with possibilities. And so this morning, as we begin to look at what it means to be a spiritual leader, I want to challenge this church to wake up to that idea, to that reality, that, that this present hour is ripe with possibilities. I want to challenge us to take God at his word, to accept his calling on our lives, to be more than just recipients of his word and, and recipients of his grace, and, and instead to receive his, his invitation to, to reveal to us how he's molding us into a spiritual leader right now. Not, not four years from now, not when I finish this project, not, not you know, once, once the kids get settled into school or the new routine. There is an opportunity for spiritual leadership and God molding us as spiritual leaders right now. To help us with this challenge, with this endeavor, I'm going to have us, we're going to continue, we're going to begin to study the letters of Paul to, First Timothy, or to Timothy and, and to Titus. And, and this morning, we're going to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them there. Uh, it'll be on the screen as well. But I'm just going to read the first five verses of our passage this morning and, and, and hear them as I read as a letter, not just for, from a, a man named Paul to a man named Timothy, but in that letter, hear God's invitation to us to grow as spiritual leaders in whatever way and whatever context God has you living and breathing now. So let me read the, the passage for us. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to 
to, to sit as students under your word. But Lord, may this not just be a text for us to study. May your living word take root in our lives. May our hearts be fertile soil this morning, that this word would convict us, challenge us, encourage us, transform us, because that's what your word can do. So Lord, we pray for that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, Paul is writing to Timothy, his protege in the ministry. He even mentions he's his child in the faith. This is someone that, that Paul has walked along for a while. And he's doing this. He's writing at a specific time, in a specific context, and for a specific purpose. And I think once we know a little bit more about what that specific time and context and purpose is, then we'll be able to be better informed about how we might glean these this idea of spiritual leadership for ourselves as well. You see, Paul was writing to Timothy, who is in Ephesus. And Ephesus was a key city in those days in the ancient world. It, it was considered the largest commercial center at the time, and it was home to a, a pretty significant, a very large port of trade. So a lot of ships would come in and out bringing trade from around the globe, and, and, and they would meet there and, and exchange gifts and goods and, and services and all that. And, and so it was a major commercial center, right? It was also home to a, a Greek goddess named Diana, who, who had a, well, not her home, it was a temple, sorry, it, homed, it was a home to her temple there, and, and, and so there was a huge industry that was built around this worship of a Greek goddess named Diana, right? They, they had even silversmiths that would fashion idols to sell to people, and it was, it was, an, it was a significant income for them, right? This was a melting pot of cultures and, and varying worldviews in that day. And it makes sense for us to, to know this because you would think as they plant a church in Ephesus, which Paul had done a few years before, that his concern for the people, for the church there, is all of the influences that would come upon them by the culture surrounding the church, right? This church is, is in the midst of this cultural melting pot, a, a, a melting pot of, of, of political and religious worldviews that, that were in opposition to one another. And, and, and Paul had his concerns about how his church, the church that he had been a part of planting, was faring in this world. Not only because of the concerns of this world, but because you can imagine that planting a church in such a pivotal place was very important to the, the spread of the gospel. Right? It's like a, a network hub where, where, where if we can plant the seeds of the faith here in, in this city, then, then think of all the places that the gospel will go out from as people come in and out of Ephesus with their trades and bringing the gospel back to their, 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 their homes with them. But the problem, the challenge for the church, the challenge in that day and age became maintaining leaders of the church that were true to God's word and true to his church. In Acts chapter 20, Luke records some of Paul's parting words to the leaders of the church. Some of his words that he was concerned about before he left after planting the church in Ephesus, right? Paul says this in verse 28 of chapter 20. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after him. These are the words that Paul's kind of telling the, the church leaders as he's getting ready to get on the boat and take off from Macedonia. 
right? He's concerned that there's going to be people not just outside of the church coming in and, and speaking false doctrines and false teachings and, and confusing teaching to the church. He's concerned about even church leaders, people in the church, being con, uh, kind of teaching this confusing and false doctrine that, that might lead people away. And you know what? Paul was right to be worried. Fast forward a few years to when he's writing this letter to Timothy, and look at what he has to say to Timothy in verses 3 to 4 of our passage. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any false or any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. There was Judaizers in the day. There were those who, who were Jewish by descent, by, and, and they'd grown up in the Jewish faith. They'd put their faith in Christ, but then they're like, you know what? You guys still have to obey the, the Jewish law. And, and so they were taking this gospel message, and they were adding to it, and they were twisting it, and they were making it into something it was not. They were, they were changing the good news, the message of Jesus Christ, into something it was not, and it created confusion and lostness, but it wasn't just the Judaizers, right? There, there, were, there were leaders within the church of that day that, that longed to kind of build up their own ego in a sense, right? They, they wanted to hear themselves speak. They wanted to, they wanted to build a following of themselves. And so they, they taught a, a, a different way of, of living the faith that was confusing and, and, and led people astray. And Paul will go on to spend a lot of time in his letters to Timothy and Titus focusing on the qualifications specifically of elders, the discipline of elders, and, and even the replacement of elders. But here's the thing. As we studied this book together, if we tune out because we're not an elder or we don't want to become an elder, then we're, we're missing the point, right? We're missing the gift that God has given us in, in this letter from Paul to Timothy. See, Paul's concern was not just for elders. It was for the maturity of all leaders. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we, we'll get to it at some point, Paul, Paul tells us he's writing these things so that we may know how we ought to live and be in the house of God, how to behave, right? Paul's concern for our character and, and for how we're called to be as leaders in the church. He's concerned for all leaders, not just a select few. It just so happened that the leaders of most concern to him at this time were elders in the church at Ephesus. See, the leaders here in 1 Timothy were, were more focused on bolstering their own image, uh, on, on attaining a certain title, and, and boasting about how much they thought they knew. These were leaders in the church that wanted the title of leader without actually the responsibility of living out the substance of leadership. If you were to jump ahead in our passage, if you have your Bibles open, you could look at verse 6 and 7. But he describes these leaders as wandering into vain discussions and desiring to, to be teachers of the law without actually understanding what they're talking about. Right? It's almost like, it's, it, like they're living up to these expectations that I'm supposed to be a leader that looks a certain way and acts a certain way and says a certain thing, so I'm going to do it, but I don't actually know what I'm saying. I don't understand what I'm talking about here, Right? They would use tactics to, to kind of convince people to follow them. They would, they would be a great orator, but there would be nothing behind their speech, right? They'd be all talk, no action. They, 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 would, they would tell these, 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 these magnificent stories, drawing on, on myths from, from uh, their, their Jewish heritage that, that 
really confuse the history of, of the gospel and, and the, the meaning and the purpose of the gospel. See, they professed to, to be proclaiming the gospel, but what they were proclaiming was not the gospel. And, and it was leading followers of Jesus away. It, it was confusing the message of Jesus, right? The, the message that, that we are all sinners, that we have been condemned to die as a result of our sin. And by death, I mean not, you know, I, I fell, uh, you know, in front of a train and died or something like that. I'm talking about spiritual death, separation from God for all eternity, and dealing with the consequences of our, uh, of our brokenness. But that's not the, the, whole, the whole of the gospel. The gospel message is that God sent his son to bear the responsibility of that guilt so that we might be forgiven that's the message of the gospel, that we might live into the, the, the household of God. And this message is lost in, in the message of these, these leaders that are leading people astray. They profess to proclaim the gospel. What, what they were professing was not really the gospel. And you know what? We have these issues even, even today. There was a few years ago, a, a best-selling book called The Bible Code was written by a, a Jewish mathematician who claimed to have decoded the Bible and, 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 and to, to understand now, ha, has a greater understanding of its dates and timelines and, and, and all this using a computer formula, right? In the book, he claimed to have unlocked 3,000-year-old prophecies that point to the Kennedy assassination and, and Bill Clinton's election, the Holocaust, and even the bombing of Hiroshima, right? I, it's, it's funny, but there are so many things that, that we tend to look to and say, oh, this is part of the Christian gospel message. But it's not. We, we, we tend to like, we, this excites us to think, oh, the Bible can unlock these, these moments of history right now. I remember growing up, uh, the, okay, so records were a little bit before my time, but they were still kind of like on the cusp of like, you could get them at like thrift stores and things like that. Um, but the, growing up, I, I remember hearing stories of people who say, you shouldn't listen to that, that record because if you turn it over or you play it in reverse, you can hear uh, it's Satan worshiping music or something like that. I mean, it, it, silly myths, right? The biggest problem with, with, with teachings like this is that they attempt to replace the gospel message with something that isn't true or something that's really not relevant to the gospel message, right? This presents a very real problem for Paul as he thinks about the church that, that he had planted and that he left Timothy behind to, to kind of care for and to, to raise up leaders in. It, it presents a very real problem as he thinks about this church, which he loves. The church of Ephesus had a, had a leadership problem because its leaders were more focused on feeding their own ego and listening to their own voice rather than seeing the word of God and the people of God be transformed by the word of God, sorry, Right? See, Paul's greatest desire is that the people would know how to live and be in the household of God. And to see this mission completed, the church needed mature spiritual leaders who know the word of God. They know the doctrine of, of Christianity, but they also obey the word of God, right? See, I think the path to spiritual leadership is tread somewhere between the path of, uh, of loving the doctrine of, Christ, of God, the doctrines of God's word, and, 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 and loving the, the deeds of living out the word. We've got to have both, right? Oftentimes you'll, you'll find churches that champion being the church that knows the word of God 
We are a Bible-believing church. This is the pinnacle of who we are. We know it, even if we fail to live it out. We know the Word of God. We, we, we cherish the doctrines. That's what you're going to hear when you come here. Doctrine, 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 at, at the expense of hearing how we might live out these doctrines together in community. Oh, and then you've got churches that want to do a good thing. They care about being practical and, and going out and doing a good deed, and they focus on, on, on caring for others and loving others, and they do it so much, yet they've, they've strayed from a, a, a strong knowledge of what God's Word teaches. But mature spiritual leadership that, that the church needs is found in between these two that upholds both of these. We don't need either or, we need both and. It's the path that celebrates both doctrine and practical living. It works no good if we come here on a Sunday morning and you hear myself or Pastor Moses or, or another person preaching the doctrine of God's word and then we get to go home and go back to our regular lives, right? That's not how this works. That's why I'm saying uh, uh, the present moment of now is ripe with possibilities because we are called to take in the word of God, to let the word of God be seed planted in fertile soil that actually leads to righteous living, obedient living, living in relationship with God. But that requires a firm knowledge of God, knowing his doctrines, knowing who he is. See, knowing God more helps me love him better, doesn't it? Knowing God more helps me love him better because I understand him more. I understand what he's doing and, and why, who, he's, who he is and what he's about. And as a result, I don't obey him out of obligation because I think I'm supposed to. I obey him because I love him. I don't obey him because I'm trying to get something out of God. I want to convince him that I'm worthy of him blessing me. I obey him because I've come to know him and love him. And I, I cherish that relationship with him. Just ask Tara, right? She loves me more today than she ever did when we first met because she knows me more intimately. I'm, I, I'm sorry she's not here, but she would affirm this story. When, 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 when we eat, whether it's at a movie, at a table, watching a TV show, whenever we're snacking on something, she hates when I chew loudly, right? That's weird. I think that's weird. Like, like if I'm chewing on a carrot stick, I notice I used healthy food there rather than a chip or something like that, but I'm chewing on a carrot stick, they're loud, right? And it drives her, it's like, it's not just like, oh honey, can you please stop? It's like nails on a chalkboard for her, right? That's weird, right? Well. No, it's not weird, actually. I've come to learn through getting to know her and love her and spend time with her that it's, some, it's something she can't control. It's actually, I think there's, there's a medical diagnosis for it. I don't know what it, or maybe it's a psychological diagnosis. Who knows? Whatever. It is. It's diagnosable, right? But because I know this about her, because I know that it's beyond her control to, to handle, I can love her better. And now I don't think she's weird. I understand her more. And, and that... That overflows into a place of, we could say obedience, but obedience that I'm not going to chew loudly. I'm going to find ways to chew more softly or quietly or, or just not eat carrot sticks around her. Oh, too bad. I guess I can't eat carrot sticks anymore, right? That's a good thing. <laughs> See, the church needs spiritual leaders who know God intimately and out of love for him, obey him. And you know what? In such a way that, that leads others to Christ. 
That's what we're called to. We're not called to be people who wave our Bibles around saying, look at what God says. This is what God says. We're called to be people that open God's word, to, to, to let it wash over us and transform us so that we might know him more and, and then go out and live in a way that's in obedience to God. So when people meet us, they don't, they don't see us doing this at them. You know, they don't see us leading the way by waving our Bibles in their face. They experience a people who have been transformed by this word, who, who, who are embodying the character of Christ because he's at work in us and who are obeying not out of obligation but out of love for him. We love him because he first loves us. And this is what the, the, the church needs and, and, and the, what the church, and this is not a message just for our elder board, mind you, church. This is for all of us because we're all spiritual leaders. This is what we're called to. The church needs each of us to lead spiritually in the place that God has us, and that requires a right knowledge of Him that leads to our loving obedience of Him. So, since we're all called to be spiritual leaders, the question I want us to think about this morning is then what is the purpose? of this leadership, right? We're not, we're not just called to be spiritual leaders for the sake of spiritual leadership. We're called to be spiritual leaders for a purpose. Generally speaking, it's so that God might transform the world, right? To transform this world with, his, with the message of Jesus Christ. But specifically, when we think about the role and the purpose of a spiritual leader, what is that purpose? Is it to teach? Is it to administer the, 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 the congregation? Is it to care for others? Right? What is, what is the purpose? All these things were just tasks to teach, to administrate, to, to, to care for. These are tasks we do. They're not the purpose of, of a church leader or of a spiritual leader. At the very tail end of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, when Paul kind of contrasts these false teachers with, 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 with true spiritual leaders, he says the task of a leader is to manage the ministry that God is that is from God by faith, right? That's our task. We, we manage the ministry that is from God by faith. The task of our spiritual leadership is to manage the treasure of God's word. It's like an orchard that we've been given to, 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 to care for and, and, and to, to cultivate from planting season to harvest, right? We need to guard against bugs coming in and, and, and infesting the, the harvest. We need to guard against animals eating the growing fruit off the trees. But, but why? So that at the end of that season, there is a harvest of fruit for people to enjoy and be blessed by and to feed on and feast on. The task of spiritual leadership is not to guard and hoard the treasures of God's orchard, but to work toward its fruitfulness in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. See, stewarding the truth of God is the task that's given to spiritual leaders, but it still leaves us with the question of what is, what is the purpose of a spiritual leader? Well, Paul tells us that in, this in verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience, and it's a sincere faith. Quite literally, Paul is, is saying the successful completion of our mission is the Christ-like character of love. The successful completion of our mission is the Christ-like character of our love. 
He uses a, a particular Greek word here, which is translated as the aim of our charge. And that's, the, the word here is telos. It, it means greatest good, fulfillment, completion, perfection, wholeness. So when, when, when we read the aim of our charge, it sounds like what you're attempt, attempting to do, what you're trying to do. But, but that kind of misses the point because you're not just trying to do this. This is where we're going, right? Perfection, wholeness, completion, fulfillment is the character of, of Christ-like love. It, it's a character of love flowing out of a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. In his most well-known sermon, Jesus tells his disciples, blessed are the pure in heart. Later on, Jesus will tell them that, that where their treasure is, there their heart will be also. He'll also tell them that, that no one can serve two masters because you'll either love one or, and hate the other. In Psalm 86, verse 11, David prayed, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to Fear your name. In the NIV, this verse reads, Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. What is in, what's in view here, specifically with a pure heart, it, it is a heart that is of single focus, a singleness of focus on Jesus Christ. Maturity of spiritual leadership desires an undivided heart and one master, Jesus Christ our Savior. When you think about what it means to become a spiritual leader, how to grow as a spiritual leader, you've got to ask yourself, what is the desire of my heart? Is it, is it having you know, my own home or a retirement that I can live off of or, or, or you know, this or that? Or what is the desire of your heart? Is it that singleness of focus on Jesus? Now, again, we may not be there this morning, but that's where the aim of our charge is. That's what it means to be whole and complete and perfect. That's what Jesus will do in us is give us this undivided heart if we will pray like David prayed, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Give me an undivided heart. The second characteristic of love that's our goal is a, is a good conscience. In, in other words, there's an integrity between our inner person and our outer person. We aren't aiming to become like these false teachers that, that wanted to, to sound more important than they were. We, didn't, we, we don't want to become people who are more concerned with, with what our, our image is to other people or our reputation. We're more concerned about seeing our inner character flow out of us and be in congruency with our outer person, right? Mature, Christ-like love has no patience for putting on our Sunday best, for, for, for pretending and trying to look a certain way to impress others. There's an honesty and an, and an integrity and a congruity between our inner person and our outer person. This is what it means to have a good conscience, to be able to sleep at night knowing that who you are on the out, inside is the same as who you are on the outside. And the third and final characteristic of Christ-like love that Paul highlights is a sincere faith. Literally, Paul is saying a faith that is without hypocrisy. See, the church needs spiritual leaders who don't tell others to do as they say, but not as they do, right? What you should expect of me and one another is not that we say we should live a certain way and then climb down, down out of our pulpits or whatever they are and go live a, a different way. 
We shouldn't be a people who go around proclaiming, uh, you know, do as I say, not as I do. See, what the church needs is spiritual leaders who embody the faith they proclaim every day, especially when it's difficult. A sincere faith is a genuine faith, not some hologram image of, of something that isn't really there. Church, we're called to be spiritual leaders because we're called to be followers of Jesus. If you're sitting here this morning saying, I didn't sign up for this when I came to church, right? You're not alone. Many of us see church as a place where we want to be encouraged, where we want to be refilled so we have strength to face the rest of our week. But that's not what the body of Christ is. The body of Christ, the church, is where we are to be equipped for the work of ministry, to, to, to be stewards of the ministry that God has given us. And, and that doesn't mean that you need to be engaged in a formal ministry where you're doing something out there. Your spiritual leadership begins at home, in your marriage, or with your children, or with, with your spouse, or whoever it would be. Your, your, your spiritual leadership begins in this present moment, in this present hour, in the present context you're in. And the church, the body of Christ, is a place where we come to be equipped for this work, to be encouraged toward this end. Not just to be encouraged to, to be forgiven for our sins and the, 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 the difficulty of our own circumstances, but to think more outwardly about where God has called us to. God's big enough to handle the circumstances that burden our hearts. And he's so big that he has not only said, okay, I will deal with this in the way that I deem best, but also I'm going to call you to go and lead. See, I'm sure there are many of us that don't want to be leaders. We don't want the responsibility. We're too tired. We're, we're too concerned that we're going to make a mistake or we're going to mess up. Well, guess what? Too bad. You don't have a choice in this. It's your calling. But you have to keep in mind that God knows you better than you know yourself. You don't need to be afraid of making a mistake. You don't need to be afraid of failure because if you have a singleness of focus on God, if you have that good conscience that says that who I am on the inside is who I want to be on the outside as well, if you have that, that, that sincere faith that you do what you proclaim to do, that, that you follow through and live, embody the faith that you proclaim, then the rest is up to God. You don't need to fear making a mistake or, or, or whatnot. You don't have to fear what happens in man's eyes. God knows you better than you know yourself, and he has called you to be a leader, whether at work, in your family, in your neighborhood, in, in your schools, on your teams, as a parent. Whatever context you're in, you are called to be a spiritual leader whose charge is love, whose aim, whose telos, whose, whose goal, whose, who, whose completion of mission is to see the character of Christ-like love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So church, don't wait for the shadow of time to pass by and for the unreturning time, line of time to go by. I'm going to channel my inner Oprah for us for a moment. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a spiritual leader, and you are a spiritual leader, and you are a spiritual leader, and you are a spiritual leader. We're all spiritual leaders as followers of Jesus. So let's lead with the end in sight. Let's lead with the goal of perfection in mind, the character of love, 
that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, your word is a gift to us. Your word is a gift because it encourages us, it strengthens us, it challenges us. And Lord, that challenge is not a, a place where you uh, heap, us, uh, heap on us a sense of guilt and shame, but where we realize that the goal you have for us is, is significant, but we're empowered to reach that goal because of you in our lives. And so, Lord, I ask for your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and minds and lives today to equip us as spiritual leaders in whatever context you have us, that, that we might not be leaders who lead followers of Jesus away from the truth, but we might be spiritual leaders that embody your truth and, and do so in such a way that others also hear your invitation to follow you, and you will make them fishers of men. So Jesus, thank you for Paul's words to Timothy. May they, may they take root in our hearts this morning. May they find fertile soil to transform us from the inside out, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.